Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and I'm glad it's Monday, because you know I love Mondays. And I've got a chance to uh, spend time with you, so thank you so much for uh, making time for me. I'm looking at my schedule today, and I see that Patrick Albanese, I hope I'm saying that right, is my first guest. Never talked to him before. Patrick, welcome. Oh, thank you. Thank you for uh, for having me, Bill. <laughs> this is Bill. <laughs> it is. It is. I'm looking at yeah. a great quote well, I, I, by an author that I, said, you're braver than you believe, you're stronger than you seem, and you're smarter than you think. And that, I would say, would be you. Uh, well, that is very kind of you. If you catch me on the uh, at the right day, the, all of those things would be true. <laughs> yeah. Because there are days I don't think I'm very strong and, you know... Uh, and yeah, uh, and certainly some days I'm not very brave. But you were but, uh, you were brave enough to change your internet at your house this uh, last week, and I thought that took a step of bravery. Ch- change is not easy. <laughs> uh, no, you know, but you know, it's funny. I mean, uh, you know, our, our our parents' generation, you know, they were like the loyal to car, to car brands. Yes, right? you know, it's a. Uh, I'm buying a Chevy. I don't care how poorly they they make that vehicle. I will always buy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, the attitudes were different. I, I I know I've told the story, but my my friend, uh, his mother was dating a guy who was in the auto parts business, and he said, "Hey, I'm looking for a mechanic. You must know people." And he said, oh, you got to go to these guys. And he gives them some name. He says, they may charge too much. They may do terrible work, but you can trust them. So... <laughs> and, and that, I love that it. was that was his criteria. Uh, and he wouldn't change, you know, so we don't like change. And of course, these days, we, you know, you set up electronic banking. It's very convenient. And then you say, oh, if I ever want to change banks, I don't know if I'll, I mean, everything's going to get turned off. Yes. Like I'm going to, my electricity will get turned <laughs> off. You know, they're going to All repossess you, vehicles. Yes. Your auto pay. <laughs> yeah. So you say, well, okay. I, they're charging me $3,000 a month for that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For the online checking, but it's worth it to not have to deal with change. Yes. So I've, I've been dealing with subpar internet for quite some time. And, uh, a new company was in town and I kind of went on the waiting list and then they called and they said, okay, we're here. So there's the moment of truth, right? You say, Ooh, now I have to, you know, I have to put up or shut up. Right. Oh, yeah. To, yeah. So, uh, I, I, uh, I say, well, you know, okay, that's great. I do want your service. I've, I've had a lot of friends rave about it. And, uh, you know, you normally, you know, when you set these things up, they'll, they'll take quite some time to, to, to come on out and, and hook you up. And uh, he he says, well, um, let's try to find a time we can come, you know, hook you up. Uh, and uh, so this was just the other day, right? And I said, okay. Um, he says, how about three o'clock this afternoon? <laughs> I was like, same day. Say, are you talking same day service? 
service. You guys are supposed to make me wait two weeks, aren't you? And yeah. I'm supposed to hang around the house from 8 a.m. till midnight for your guy <laughs> to show up. Yeah. Well, you got lucky. I did. Guy shows up at 3 o'clock, and then they can't find a little uh, junction box uh, in my backyard or in anybody's backyard nearby. And after about an hour and a half of searching every house in the neighborhood, the guy was about to give up. And I'm feeling sorry for the guy, but I think, oh, yeah, I get it. You know, I wasn't expecting to really get this today. And then he comes knocking back on my door and says, oh, I found it. It was in your backyard buried under four inches of dirt. And apparently somebody in this house, I don't know who, was moving some plants and uh, put a pile of dirt somewhere he maybe shouldn't have put it. <laughs> Only about four inches of dirt. So the guy found it. And he hooks me up, and immediately my internet speed goes up 25 to 30 times the speed. Wow. And clarity, and uh, my my son was playing a computer game. He's just laughing at, uh-huh. the, at the difference. This is amazing. And my daughter and I tried to watch a movie the other day, and you know the movie had to restart five or six times because of the the poor internet. So I made the move, and then to then the next day. I have to make the call to cancel the other service. And they did everything in their power to try and hang on to me. But they, like, they, well, they start by asking yeah. you all these detailed information. You know, what, what's your mom's maiden name? You know, what was the name of your first car? They're just trying to right. keep you on the line because they're going to try to build a trusting relationship. And aren't, aren't we getting along great right now? Do you oh, really want to cancel? Yeah, yeah, yeah we're, like, we're like regular pals. It takes 10 minutes to get past that firewall, right? And, right. and of course, that, that that 10 minutes is loaded with things like, hey, good day to you, sir. Oh, look, it seems you've been a customer of ours for nine years. and <laughs> Boy, do we really appreciate that. You have made us just one of the happiest companies, and I'm one of the happy employees. I'm so grateful to have my job because of people like you. <laughs> so mm-hmm. here you go. Well, I'm, I'm calling to cancel. Oh, I see. You know, but but before you know, before we get to that, let's just verify that it's you. And then every time you answer a question, he goes, oh, "I just wish I wish every customer was as nice as you." And <laughs> you're just the greatest human being I think I've ever met. What's your name again? Because I'm going to name children after you. I think I'm going to name <laughs> all my children Patrick. Uh-huh. All going to be named Patrick. I'm I'm changing my dog's name to Patrick right now as we speak. So you get past the 10 minutes and then, you know, their sales pitch comes in to try and keep the service. And it was kind of like the, they may do terrible work and charge too much, but you can trust them. (laughs) (laughs) And Mm -hmm. basically he runs into this, this brick wall of, I said, well, the new service has speeds, um, you know, that are not just 10 times of what you promise, but they're 30 times faster than what you're delivering. He says, well, I could send a technician out to get that fixed. I said, oh, so you could get me to where I'm only at one-tenth of the speed and clarity that I want. How could I refuse this offer? So, <laughs> and it, but, but, okay, you, you know, it's like breaking up is hard to do. You think, well, this relationship hasn't really gone very well. <laughs> right, right. For nine years and eight months, um, you know, I've quietly complained uh, that I'm not getting my fair share. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then you pretend to get better and you don't get better. And But at, at the same time, why is that difficult to do? Why is it difficult to, to make that phone call and say, look, really, this, you know, things end. I'm yeah. sorry, buddy. 
We don't have enough time to discuss the problems we have, really, when it comes to stuff like this, because I've been threatening to cancel my P.O. box for years. And I would say I got it 30 years ago, and it was at a time when I wanted all my mail to go there, and now only 5% of my mail goes there, and it's not very important mail. So yet I, I hang on to it because I've had it for so long. Oh, yeah. I I have an, an internet account, my very first internet account that I uh, got with. An, this company was so new uh, at the time that uh, when I called them up to get internet service, they said, what would you like your um, email address to be? You know, and so it has their their tag on the end of it. And mm-hmm. I said, I, how about, you know, PJA, my initials? Yeah. And they go, okay. And you, you got know, you, your initials. You, yeah, they're like, you could have had the letter P. <laughs> uh-huh. You're like our third customer. So okay. You, you can have anything you want. And uh, so now, of course, you know, I, I, I got that in California, I don't know, 25? I don't know how many years oh, ago. at least that. Yeah. And then, yeah, 30 years ago, probably. So I've long since left California, and they weren't doing internet service out here anyway. And by I would have made that call to them today anyway, because well, uh, I've got a new guy, uh, and he's he's at sixty times your speed. Uh, but they uh, they you know they allow you to keep your email address, but I think I pay seven ninety five a month. And I go well, so many people have that email address, and and I have so many accounts that are attached to it that. I wouldn't know that I wasn't getting my notifications for, you know, you, you forgot to pay your defibrillator bill. Let's <laughs> say. <laughs> and we're cutting the power to your defibrillators. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I keep it and I pay the $8 a month. And I think, you know, you, what, what are you spending on? A, you know, how many years now have you kept an email address for a place you no longer live? Uh, well, I just can't get rid of it. Yeah. It's like your PO box. Yeah. This is not a proud moment for us right now, Patrick. I got to be honest. But, we're we're admitting yeah. this on, on on radio. Yeah, are we that much different than most people? I, I think I don't know. Let me ask my listeners: Is anyone out there having the same issue Patrick and I are having, where it's hard to make a change with something you've had for a long time, and you're not even using it that much anymore? Whatever it is, for some yeah. reason, it's hard to drop. It's hard to hard to stop having it available. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's funny. I think companies used to count on brand loyalty. That doesn't exist as much anymore. So I I think that uh, sometimes they get you with the entanglements where you say, it's just too much of a hassle to try and cancel this. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's because you say, well, I, you know, brand loyalty, that kind of, you know, people used to be brand loyal to cars and now they're not, Mm -hmm. which is one of the reasons why companies like to, get leasing because people tend to be more loyal to companies they lease from because it's just, again, the hassle factor. Yeah. When it comes time to dispose of your leased vehicle, you know, if you go to another place and then there's these disposition fees, they've got all these things you said that I really signed, I signed that, didn't I? <laughs> I really did sign that. And, and then, yeah, the, the place you got the car from initially will say, if you come and get another one from us, don't worry about that stuff. We'll make it all go away. It'll be easy peasy. Yeah. Just come in, give us the old keys, pick up the new keys, and you say, boy, I really like the sound of that. Mm-hmm. And now suddenly you're brand loyal because you just don't want the hassle. Yeah. 
and you realize you've been driving a Buick for 52 years. I know, yeah. I know, and they don't even make the good LeSabres anymore. I know. They were they fine cars, the Buick LeSabre. Oh, could that thing float down the road? Yes, it could. <laughs> <laughs> and that nice long bench seat in the front, that was sweet. Yeah. I had, you know, my mom, my, so before my father passed away, I thought we were a pretty fancy house because we had a Buick Electra 225 and an Oldsmobile 98 Regency. Now you're bragging. So these were, these were top bragging. of the line. These were top of the line vehicles. Yeah. And yeah, basically we needed to move to a, a waterfront location just to dock them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because the way those things used to float down the road. They're big vehicles. Some of those had bird feeders it. on them. I got into an accident with my my mother's Regency, her Oldsmobile. I didn't even know I hit somebody. Well, I kid you not. You should you should have been aware because those car did those cars have the crumple zone where you know cars today have a crumple zone where where when you hit something the car crumples to absorb the shock and keep the people yeah. in the middle part safe because those big huge tanks they had no crumple zone so if you hit well, they something did, they you did. knew it. They had a crumple zone. The crumple zone was anything it hit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I had, I had, you know, merged over to the left and hit a car with a hardly even knowing it. I just thought, I said, boy, they really need to fix these roads. These potholes <laughs> are getting out of control. <laughs> Look at that. Look at that poor guy in the ditch over there. Yeah. He must have hit a pothole too. Yeah. No, he, you hit him. Yeah. So, um, we're going to take a little break. Uh, Patrick Albanese is my guest, and when we come back, I'm going to ask him about a piece of news that happened last week, extremely sad for me and also for Patrick, and we'll discuss that when we return. And then right after that, Trevor Rubenstein is going to be on the show, and he uh, was formerly in a cult, and that's where he came to faith in Christ, was in a cult. And then after he got out of the cult, he went and ministered to people in cults. That's all coming up next. Be right back. the show. I'm so glad that you uh, are joining me. I hope you had a great weekend. Patrick Albanese is my friend and colleague from the great state of Iowa in the prestigious town of West Des Moines. Patrick, I know. So last week was a sad one for me, for you, and for many other uh, believers because Dr. Timothy Keller died. I have to say I took that one hard. Yeah, me too. And, and, you know, it's interesting. You, you had, uh, kind of given me the heads up that, uh, I think it was his son had first posted earlier that day, you know, it looks like the end is, you know, pretty Soon. close. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, two hours later, you send me the, well, there it is. I said, that was close, you know, um, and boy, you know, I, um, you knew it was coming. He was diagnosed with, I think, pancreatic cancer wasn't that yep, it a few years cancer. back uh-huh. and uh so i followed him on twitter and you know he always had just such clever things to say but it was also you were going well just give us a you know a, a little insight to how you're doing just want to know how you're doing mm-hmm. 
I, I don't know if that's voyeuristic, but you just wanted to know that he was he was dealing with it well, and he he really was. Uh, I I don't know if I'll ever be able to handle anything with the grace that he handled, yeah. you know, at least to the face he put out to the public. Mm-hmm. But I, I believe every word of it because I just uh, I think he walked the walk. I think that was he just spoke so clearly and yeah. truthfully. I, there, his friends said that there was no dissonance between the man you saw publicly and the man you witnessed privately. And it was interesting because he would always brush people away when they would call him Dr. Keller. He would always say, just Tim, please. And when he was asked uh, about his one day leaving this earth and and was there anything that he really hoped would happen? And he would say, I do hope my grandchildren remember me. So very sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Very sweet. And then I, I share that thing with the brushing people off. I, a lot of times I go, just, just call me doctor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. they, uh, he will be yeah. missed. He was, uh, a, I thought well, kind of a one of a kind teacher. I really, I really liked his teaching style and I thought he was great. I liked, you know, and reason for God was, uh, was one of those, I, I, I would call it a very dense book. Uh, and I hope that doesn't come across as like, what do you mean dense? Mm-hmm. I mean, it would be very hard to read more than a couple pages and, and not say to myself, I've got to put this down. Hang on. I, I really need to think about what I just read. Uh, and you know, you know, sometimes you pick up a, you pick up a book and they can be very entertaining, but there always seems to be this, let me get you hooked in the first couple of chapters with some meat. Then I'll put a little bit of filler, kind of like the hamburger helper helps a hamburger make a great meal, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. right there in the middle. And then, you know, the fantastic finish with my talking points or my, my bring home points at the end. And so I got into the habit a lot of times of skimming the middles of books because I, I could feel when there would be filler. Yeah. And I think well, you didn't need to make this 300 pages. This could have been a hundred. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with a hundred page book. I mean, the Dr. Seuss books are even shorter than that and they're quite good. I agree. But uh, reason for God, I said, there's no filler in this. Not a word. No. Nope. This is just a piece of this. There's just something to sink your teeth into. Every couple of pages, I would have to set it down and say, hang on a second. I need to think about that because that was deep and yeah. good. I just loved his writing style that way. Yeah. And his book, uh, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, was a, a very uh, amazing book. And the last time I interviewed him, it was about his uh, book called Rediscovering Jonah, The Secrets of God's Mercy. And it was right around the time my, my dear mother was in the hospital and we had just concluded the interview. And I said, Tim, we only have about 45 seconds left. Would you mind taking off your author hat, putting on your pastor hat and praying for my mother? And boy, he did. And it was one of those moments that was uh, so moving to me. And obviously I've kept the clip and I just uh, prayed it. Um, I just listened to it a couple of times recently, and it was just a, an amazing moment for me. Yeah, I don't know how you can do that. I admire your ability to do that because that would bring me to tears every time. It does. It does bring me to tears every time. But that's yeah. okay. You know, every once in a while, it's okay to just feel it and then you move on. Yeah, because yep. we we were talking about we you know we have. Uh, your mother and my mother, there were so many similarities. Uh, so just recently would passed what would, would have been my mother's 90th birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, our, you know, our mother's and, birthdays are a day apart. Your mom yeah. is 19. My mom was the 20th. 
Yeah. Yeah. Don't forget and that, my friend. No, no. There are, it, it's, it been, there were many other similarities to our upbringing, even though we didn't know each other as kids. You know, both our mothers lost their husbands and were raising lots of children. Yep. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, you look back now and you say, hey, how come I didn't hear, you know, you didn't talk about the pain you were going through? And I guess that was that generation. And yeah. maybe we talk about our pain a little bit too much now or a little bit too frequently. You know, uh, I know I do with my kids. Talk about you know. your pain? <laughs> yeah. Can't, can't you see dad's hungry? Can't right. You see? Can't, you, can't you walk in his shoes just for a day here? He's hungry. Just for, just for a day here. Yeah. 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 But, uh, you know, granted, you know, it wasn't that, you know, you didn't get those things from your mother that would say, well, what am I the maid? What am I the chauffeur? <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. But uh, you, you never heard, like I never heard my mom talk about personal pain uh, until she was much older. You know, I just remember just out of the blue, he says her brother had come to visit me and he did come to California. And then he and my aunt had come to the magic castle that I was running at the time to spend the night. For some reason that upset my mother mm -hmm. and I was visiting her in Chicago and she said, you know, what is it with my brother having to spend more time with my kids than me? <laughs> yeah. I was like, I said, mom, California is open. You can, you can come out and I will show you the town yeah. and I will take you to the magic castle. It'll be a night you will never forget. So a year later, she and my stepfather came out and I showed them a night that they talked about for years yeah, good for you because they brought two other couples with them they were heading to a cruise and these people were like where are we going and i i just i laid out the red carpet yeah. oh it was yeah. spectacular all right patrick we just have about a minute left and i want to encourage uh, listeners uh and even you if you haven't done this uh to listen to faith radio uh live or like we're doing now or on demand anywhere in the world uh you know even in prestigious west des moines and all you have to do to download the free Faith Radio app, and I want to say it's easier than ever, is text the word APP, which is A-P-P, -P, to 877-933-2484, and then we send you a link and you click on it, and it's, it's, uh, it's easy to do. I like it. See, you know, and uh, it's a lot easier than canceling your internet. <laughs> yeah, a, a lot, lot easier. <laughs> a lot easier. And then... Uh, hey, I don't know, you know, this is a quick little question. I don't know if other people like to do this. I'm asking you. We we like to invite people over, uh, not because we like to entertain, but because we've discovered that's the only way we'll clean the house. <laughs> so you use your friends to clean the house. No, no, no. It's the only time that we'll say, we've really got to tidy this place up. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, when they get here, the first thing we say is, we must apologize for the mess. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Thanks, Patrick. We're going to, uh, I'm going to invite on Trevor Rubenstein to the show. He's coming on just right now after you. And he uh, came to faith in Christ in a cult. He didn't know he was oh, being in a, introduced to a cult, but he was. And then he got out of the cult, got saved. He's a, a, a completed Jew. And now he's out ministering the gospel. So we'll talk again. Have a great day. Thanks. You yeah. too. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the show. I'm so glad to have my friend Trevor Rubenstein with me. He is the Minnesota Director of Chosen People Ministries, which is headquartered in New York City. Is it in Brooklyn or New York? It's actually in Manhattan. Oh, okay. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, we, we do have a seminary in Brooklyn, and so we have a presence there, But uh, which is, I think, the largest populated Jewish area in the country is actually Brooklyn, New York. Really? Yeah, yeah, by far. Wow. But, All right. So... Chosen People Ministries is in is in the right location then. Yes, they have its headquarters intentionally. If the population is that high of Jewish people, yeah, of course you, you go to where your mission is, Bill, and uh, that's why I live in St. Louis Park actually here in <laughs> Minnesota because that's also the the uh, highest populated Jewish area in Minnesota. All right, now, so you grew up in a conservative Christian home, Jewish. Uh, that's what I meant. I, you know, it's been a long day already. <laughs> a, a conservative, I, I say conservative Christian so often yeah. that it's just a normal slip. Sure. But a conservative Jewish home. Yeah. And you, uh, after your bar mitzvah, were pretty depressed. Yeah. 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 So, um, so actually I'm from Virginia, Minnesota, originally Bill, And, uh, and the last component probably to my religious upbringing and practice had to do with a bar mitzvah, which is a celebration that Jewish people have when they turn 13 years old. Um, and it's really, uh, it, it's really kind of son of the commands kind of thing. So you become accountable mm-hmm. for what you do at 13. And, uh, and so, you know, I went through that. Honestly, I did it for the money bill because uh, you make pretty good money <laughs> as mm-hmm. a young Big Jewish payday. man. Yeah. And there's yep. usually a great party associated with it. And, uh, and, and I did that as a young man, but, uh, that was kind of the end is, this is not an uncommon story amongst the Jewish people. Um, it was kind of the end of my Jewish practice and, uh, that really was probably the end of my family's focus on anything in Judaism also. Mm-hmm. So you are you grew up in a conservative Jewish home. You hit your bar mitzvah at thirteen, and then you end up uh, going to community college, right after getting kicked out of high school. Yeah, I wasn't the best student. Okay, so. <laughs> all right. And then in school, you 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 brush elbows with a guy who invites you to something. Yeah. And so, uh, just as a little bit of an understanding, so, yeah. so as a as a Jewish person, the one thing that uh, is abundantly clear and that we're taught from a youth is that we cannot believe in Jesus so much so that that's uh, one of the um, primary um, kind of identifiers. So I remember coming home from school one time and asking my father, wonderful man by the way, but but asking him. Um, what does it mean that we're Jewish? He said, well, we don't believe in Jesus. That was, his, that was his response. That was the explanation. Wow. Um, because, because you can be considered Jewish and be atheist. You can be considered Jewish and follow other religious systems. I, I think we, uh, you and I had talked about how many Jewish people practice Buddhism, for example. But if you believe in Jesus, it's seen as something contrary to who we are. Um, it's a, it's kind of a strange thing, Bill, because as uh, also we talked about, it would be as if someone was Norwegian and came to believe in Jesus, and so their family thought they weren't Norwegian any longer. Because Judaism is not necessarily um, exclusively a re- it's not a religious tradition per se, uh, or the Judaism, I guess, in in that term could be. But being Jewish is is really a nationality. It's people who have common ancestry from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
And uh, and so, of course, you can believe many things within it, but Jesus is seen as an anathema, partially because of a historic persecution and things that came from the Christian community when the Jewish people lived in in Europe. And so, so that I was very clear that this is one thing that was not okay. While I was uh, a depressed, really kind of, uh, as I like to say, Bill, um, unprescribed pharmaceutical test engineer as a youth, um, the uh, the the. Jesus was not in the picture, but but a young man that I had uh, become friends with invited me actually to uh, to something, and I couldn't hear what he said, so I agreed to come. <laughs> Strange, huh? yeah. Um, you didn't quite hear it, but you thought, why, why not? Right? Yeah, he ended up inviting me. Seemed like a nice guy. What is it we're going to? I said, you said yes, and all of a sudden you're you're at this thing. Yeah. Okay. And uh and so he invited me and so we start walking through the school and you know more people are joining us and I'm kind of thinking what is this and then he asked me if I have a bible. And I knew what this meant, right? And as a Jewish person I knew this is something I was not allowed to participate in. I was an atheist actually at this point, but but still that was okay. Jesus was not. So um so I t- tried to make excuses. He actually um had quick and and very uh, poignant answers. Snappy, yes, snappy to, answers. Yeah, to all of my excuses, and so I ended up joining them. Um, and at this point, uh, we all were outside, and he had a group of Bibles with him, right? And he asked me if I had ever read the Bible, and I I said yes, of course. I never read the Bible, by the way. When he asked me that question, <laughs> but I told him <laughs> I did. And uh, and then he, he said, well, we're reading in Luke chapter 15. Um, and so uh, I didn't know what Luke was, Bill, because uh, I'd never read the Bible. I, I read parts of the Bible in Hebrew, you know, because of my Jewish upbringing. But I didn't know what the words meant. It's actually something that's common in American Judaism where you learn to read and write Hebrew, even though you don't know the meanings of mm-hmm. the words. Uh, it's more ceremonial. Sure. Um and uh, and so so anyway, uh, he said, "Open Luke." I didn't know what that was, so I looked at the person next to me and where they opened their Bible. So I knew the general area to open it to. So I found mm-hmm. it, and, and I remember he said, uh, "Wow, you sound you found that fast." And I said, "Yeah, I told you I read this before." Um, I did, <laughs> obviously, but but anyway, so. Uh, uh, so we read this story, the parable of the prodigal son. It's a powerful story Start in Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. And, and the story talks about a young man who takes his father's inheritance early and goes and he squanders it. And then when he squanders it, he realized that he's impoverished, in his state of being impoverished, he realized that the slaves in his father's home were treated better than he was. So he goes to his father's home to become a slave and his father embraces him and tells him, you're not a slave, you're my son. Um, and, uh, and I can tell you, uh, these words meant nothing to me in, in my, in my mind at that point in time, I was thinking that religion is, is, uh, is you have heard is the opium of the masses. Right. And so, uh, and so my thought was, this is just something that people do to try to appease their, uh, concerns, uh, when they don't understand scientific revelation and, and, but, uh, but what I wasn't expecting bill was I, it was the first time I ever felt the presence of God. Um, so being a Jewish person who is, uh, who's an atheist at this point, that was difficult to deal with because, uh, cause three things really hit me right away. W- one was God is real. I had no theological training. Uh, second thing is everything I was doing in my life was separating me from him. And the third thing was I can come to know him through this person, Jesus. I, I felt conviction 
for all for you know the the massive sins I was living in my life at that point in time, it, but yet an overwhelming love and invitation that God wanted me to be with Him. Um, I struggled with this, Bill. I I actually uh, I, I fought it. Um, you know, I would take different Bibles and different translations and read it, and uh, and the same thing was happening. And so thinking that because initially I was thinking this is some kind of brainwashing. It's affecting my mind. But it, it kept happening when I was reading different translations, different sections of scripture. So so eventually I gave my life to him. And, and really, Bill, he saved me because I, I was suicidal every day before that. And, and he took that desire away. Um, so for me, Jesus was really the difference between life and death. Mm. Um, I, I don't know if you wanted me to mention this yet, but uh, but interestingly, the, the, I was the first Christian I knew because uh, this group was actually a cult. Um, so, so I never joined them. But, wow. But, uh, so a cult invited you. And they had you get up a, a Bible. Yeah. So you got me real curious. Now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, there are cults that use the Bible, mm-hmm. right? Um, and this cult is referred to as the, uh, and it's it's a well recognized cult at this point. They're called the Boston Church of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they've actually reformed, but they had fallen apart at one time. But what their their teachings were things like that they are the only church. You can only be saved if you're baptized into their organization. Um, they would have you leave your family and friends if they didn't come into the church with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would have you move into communal living unless you were married. Um, you know, I remember they demanded 10% of your income. And in my conversation with them, I was a student and I said, well, that's fine. 10% of nothing is what, but they didn't think that was funny. <laughs> um, and, uh, but, but anyway, so, um, and, and they would teach that there was no sin in their church. Uh, that actually is what caused the fall. Um, because uh, eventually their leadership fell into open sin. And that mm-hmm. was how you could tell that they were God's only real church here on earth is because there was no sin in there. And, and you know, I, we, of course, we recognize we're all sinners saved by grace. And uh, and Paul himself called himself the chief among sinners. So, so this was really problematic. But I, by the grace of God, I never joined them. Um, but, uh, but they were the ones that reached out to me first with the gospel. Mm-hmm. Trevor Rubenstein is my guest. And he is a director of uh, Chosen People Ministries in the Minnesota area, and he is an evangelist to the Jewish uh, people. And I'm amazed, Trevor, that a uh, cult invited you into their their uh, their service, their meeting, and you first started understanding the person of Jesus and eventually got saved, but then were uh, wise enough to not be part of that cult. But then you went and continued to do some work with other cults. I would yeah. love to hear more about that. Yeah. Well, um, I guess God's taken me in some interesting places. So, um, so I really had a heart for, um, for lost people, just period bill. Right. So, uh, so like I said earlier, Jesus to me is the difference between life and death. So it's really how I see him. Um, so my, my heart and my desire is for people to know him because I know that he, he, he saved my life physically, but he can save people's eternal souls. And, uh, and, and so in recognizing, um, some of the problems with these organizations, uh, I really had a desire to reach out to them. I was really broken for them because I, I, often I saw them as people who, who were seeking some form of spiritual truth for some reason and just were led astray, kind of, prob- possibly similar to the uh, parable of the sower right, where Jesus talks about the sower, the sows seed, and then there's different things that happen to some of the seed, but some of them are plucked away by birds, and that's Satan taking away the truth of the gospel from them and leading them somewhere that they shouldn't be, and that's really how I saw 
a lot of cult members. And so, uh, so for, yeah, many years I focused in that area and did quite a few outreaches to different uh, cultic groups. Mm-hmm. So you are aware that people are spiritually hungry and that you, you have a sense of urgency to help um, bring people to a saving knowledge of, of Jesus. Yeah. Um, so, which I, I love that about you, Trevor. And so when you are falling into a cult, you're kind of feeling not only blindsided because you don't know what you're getting yourself into, but you're finding people that are coming alongside you and just being nice to you. And that's kind of nice. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's sad, Bill, but I think they do a better job of community than we do. Mm. Um, this is this is actually a massive component that I think is uh, is problematic and something the church needs to really consider addressing. It's a problem actually in reaching out to um, Jewish people also, Bill, because uh, often when a Jewish person comes to faith, we lose everything um, because uh, it's seen as uh, as we're traitors or could be. So in my my situation was was decent. My family's wonderful and very kind. But uh, but often we see that where people are ostracized from their community. And so it's it's their family, it's their friends, uh, it's their it's sometimes their job. They can lose everything. Um, and uh, and they they gain faith and eternal life, but uh, but often lose community because like you like we were saying, Bill, sometimes the church does a poor job of recreating that. And, and early when you read in Acts, actually one of the first things that they do is establish community in the church. Church. And uh, I think Americans kind of are fiercely independent mm-hmm. and uh, the American Christian community can be that way too. And so sometimes they'll find fulfillment in ways that God intended us to be fulfilled through one another in the body of Messiah and the body of Christ. And, uh, um, but they find a, a, a greater sense of that sometimes in these cults, but, mm-hmm. uh, but people, it's kind of an interesting thing because this was similar in the drug and alcohol community is people find uh, they find some, there's something attractive to heading into some, for, some something that's destructive together. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, and I don't know what that is, but it was always more enjoyable to, to be involved in participating in these things with other people than by yourself. And there, and it, it, for whatever reason, we desire to head towards destruction together. So, yeah. so there's right. unfortunately something that heads in that direction. All right. We're gonna take a little break. Trevor Rubenstein is my guest and we are going to return and talk a little bit more about cults. We'll be right back. with Trevor Rubenstein. We're chatting today about his uh, coming to faith in Christ after growing up in a conservative Jewish household and then getting invited to a meeting that was uh, organized by a cult. And then he did some work with cults after that because he had a real heart for the, the lost and the people that are gravitating or found themselves gravitating towards cults. So I appreciate that, uh, Trevor, and you've also done work with people in drugs and alcohol, and I appreciate that as well. Um, so let's get back to uh, people that find themselves drifting into cults. What do you think is going on there? Yeah, well, you know, there's a lot of different reasons. Uh, it seems like 
my experience actually has been most people are uh, are raised in them that end out joining. Uh, that's that's probably most okay. common. Um, but uh, individuals that uh, end out joining them, it's, it's a similar story that you hear so often. It's like uh, there's a struggle, there's a problem going on, and these are the people that come to them. I remember, so I spent a year, and maybe go into a little bit more detail about this later, but I spent a year um, going into a, a Mormon ward, which is what they call their churches, and, and ministering to the Mormon people. And uh, um, by the grace of God, a couple of them actually came to faith. But anyway, while I was there, one of the things that they did is they invited invited me to an event where they were talking about the people that had come to join their the Mormon church, and they were just joining right at that point. And, and they would all give a testimony as to why they were joining the Mormon church. And uh, actually, they call themselves Latter-day Saints now. They don't call themselves Mormons anymore. But, uh, but anyway, uh, so these, these individuals, they, were, uh, they would give the same story. You know, we're having a marital problem. And these missionaries showed up to our house right at that time where, mm-hmm. where I was having this financial issue and we were really stressed out and these people showed up to our house and uh, it, it just broke me, Bill. I, I, was, I was weeping because I was thinking if that was us, they would have eternal life and a right relationship with Jesus, mm-hmm. but we didn't come to their doors. Um so the, I mean that that kind of thing really moves me, Bill, and uh, and I see it often as a shortcoming of the church, unfortunately. And I, I'm not beating up on the church. I mean, no, nobody's fallen shorter in their service of of Jesus than me. I'm sure at different times in my life, but but it, it's just it just really broke my heart, and and I think helped motivate me in that direction. So, Trevor, when you came to faith as a person who came out of a conservative Jewish home, and your dad says, you know, what is a, when you asked what does Jewishness mean, what is a conservative Jewish uh, family, what do they do? And your dad's response is, well, we don't believe in Jesus. Yeah. All right, so you've got, I'm, I'm curious about what goes on inside your family when you tell mom and dad, uh, because they must have thought you joined a cult. Yeah. They did actually, Bill. So yeah, there's uh um, but uh, they're also, I mean, they're they're dealing with their kid that, you know, is dealing with drug and alcohol abuse or was, and uh, and was expelled from school, and all of a sudden his <laughs> life is cleaned up, right? Okay. So uh, so there were there was some appreciation for whatever was happening in my life because uh, I was I was you know they knew I was suicidal. There was some real concerns, I'm sure, that just broke their hearts. Um, and then they saw this positive change. And so that was okay. Uh, but you know, I mean, they always thought I was a little crazy, right, Bill? So this confirmed it, but, uh, (laughs) cause Jewish people can't do that in their mind. Um, but anyway, so, um, so, uh, my father actually at one time, uh, cause I eventually started attending a church. Um, a friend of mine also, uh, came to know Jesus. He was saved in California and, 
and so we uh, he came back and and we both were talking about our faith and we started attending a church together and my father you know noticed I was going uh, regularly and and he asked me if he could come and I was like oh wow my sharing Jesus is working right and uh, <laughs> I was really excited and Au contraire. Uh, yeah yeah and <laughs> and he just wanted to make sure I wasn't part of a cult mm-hmm. and uh and so I'm glad that he came to that conclusion that I wasn't you know it was just a healthy bible believing church wonderful people um but uh, but yeah that was their concern because because uh, cult, I, I think that uh, it's it's loosely defined, right? Um, actually, it's not even necessarily a, an, a negative term always in its description. It's it's more so def- defining a, a kind of a religious belief system, but it can have a negative depiction to it. Um, I think that uh, in in kind of my experience, Bill, part part of the most concerning elements towards uh, towards religious systems that we would consider cults is probably that they are giving they're giving priority to an individual or to a group or an organization um, over anything else. So so let me explain this. So there's a. Uh, in Scripture, when we read through Scripture, we'll see multiple forms of revelation. So sometimes God reveals something directly to somebody, right? They could be considered like direct revelation. Sometimes God reveals something to somebody, and then that person shares it with somebody else. Mm-hmm. So that's secondary revelation. Scripture itself actually is based on something that we call um, that we call um, corporate or, or group revelation because uh, the, the Hebrew Scriptures become founded on... Uh, Israel receiving all of these miracles through the Exodus process and the the law coming down from Sinai to to masses of people, uh, so corporate revelation really established scripture in the Hebrew scriptures and in the New Testament too because uh, it's it's over three hundred people that saw the resurrected Jesus right so so it's corporate revelation group of people s- receiving something uh, together it, that really establishes it but when secondary revelation meaning what one individual or group takes precedence over any other form of revelation even over God's word you start entering into kind of a dangerous cultic situation mm-hmm. So, for example, in the Latter-day Saints Church, you, you have this through their series of prophets and apostles and and uh, and their later doctrine. They, they have a funny statement, actually, or at least used to, on the front page of their website when it was still called Mormon.org, where it stated that whatever the current prophet says supersedes what any previous prophet said. So authority goes through an individual that tells you what God is saying as opposed to God's word. Or as opposed to uh, as opposed to any other form of revelation, so it always offers some form of control um, to an individual or group or organization or something to that nature. You see this in Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, with the Watchtower, where that becomes the ultimate authority over how you can understand Scripture. There actually was a there was a a magazine in which they uh, when they were telling other Jehovah's Witnesses to not study the Bible apart from the Watchtower because you might come to the same conclusion of Christians, which is kind of a funny statement, um, mm-hmm. meaning maybe that's what the Bible is saying is what Christians come to the conclusion of. But but it always has to be filtered through this other organization because there's a level of control. Mm-hmm. What it ends up doing, I think, most destructive is Jesus died so that, as it states in first timothy chapter 2 verse 5 where it says for there is one god and one mediator between god and men the man 
Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. And what they do is they try taking away your direct link to Jesus and saying you can't go directly to him or you can't go directly to God or you can't go directly to whatever spirit. You have to go through us. Ooh. Um, that way they maintain control. Correct. Mm-hmm. And and it's, uh, it's something that is fairly universal in a lot of mm-hmm. these. So Trevor, if your son or daughter or granddaughter or grandson starts exhibiting certain behaviors that represent someone's taking control of their mind a little bit, that might be an indicator that that person has drifted into a cult. Yeah, oh, mm-hmm. without question. Yep. And it doesn't actually have, even have to be a religious system, right? Bill? Right. Uh, there's uh, there's a lot of, uh, I mean, I guess education at times can oh, can sure lead can. people into that type of direction. So, uh, uh, but yeah, it's, it's dangerous when when you're separated from the freedom to connect to the Lord and uh, and and incredibly problematic. So, I mean, I'm very thankful for our faith. Mm-hmm. So. We only have about a minute left, uh, Trevor, so I, I've loved hearing this story. I've loved hearing your story of uh, coming to faith in Christ and making it your the rest of your life to share the joy that you have in your heart with other Jewish people primarily. Yes, amen. Yeah, and so with just about 45 seconds, the question I always love asking a, a Jewish lover of Jesus is, is there anything that we can do uh, to be more effective reaching our Jewish friends. Yeah, uh, it's uh, first and foremost, Bill. It's it's more tears. Um, you need to be brokenhearted. I have yet to see a person come to faith without uh, brokenhearted prayer, um, and uh, and it's incredibly effective because the Lord loves that person more than even we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to but something that uh, you and I talked about briefly, Bill, is we're seeing record numbers of Jewish people come to faith right now, That's particularly so amongst younger generations. So. Uh, yeah, if ever there's any way that uh, anybody who's listening is looking for help and reaching a Jewish person, you're looking for resources, please go to thechosenpeople.com. Trevor, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. All right. We are going to take a little break, and we'll be right back with more. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.